Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for episode 29, which, again, I'm not going to attempt saying that one in Spanish because no way I can do that. Modelo. <laughs> there was another voice that just snuck in. I don't know who that is. It was a female. Are, it, it, this is like the Judean people's front. This is like Life of Brian. Are, are there any ladies here? No, 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 no. I, be, I believe there is a female on the podcast today. Well, that's uh, congratulations to us. How did we do that? I don't know. This is actually the second female we've had on, but the first one that's going to play in the series because we did interview Jill Martin. How did she say her last name? Uh, Richie. Richie. Like Lionel. Hello. Oh, see, now I'll never forget. Jill Martin Richie. We did interview her, but that one hasn't played yet. No, it hasn't. And we had Linda Brookwist on. Oh, but that one hasn't played yet either. So this will be the no. third woman that we've had on, but the first one that's actually playing. So that's kind of cool. That's because in January, we're going to run a daily podcast on every weekday. Monday through Thursday be 30-minute segments, and then on Friday we do our full uh, length. Actually, podcast. it'll be Tuesday through Thursday will be – or I'm sorry, through Friday will be the 30-minute segments, and Monday will be the hour, just like it normally is. We record on Friday is what you're thinking. That uh, was what I was thinking. And you would be wrong. Hey, by now the way. they know our secret. Hey, uh, get anything good for Christmas? Dude, I got a tool chest. But no tools. Yeah, nice I, I know what you got, and you know what I got. <laughs> Pete and I were sending sending each other pictures of our underwear Christmas morning. You know that's a bit unusual. We're not a couple. My wife really <laughs> likes the fact that she got me underwear that say Man of Steel on them. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool. 
No, you I almost have to, made me spit my drink out. I have to tell you about this uh, this one gift I got because it's kind of a – I don't know. I think it's kind of a funny story. I'm not a major coffee drinker, right? But I enjoy coffee, especially um, when I have certain clients and I'm like, I just need to go have a cup of coffee because this client's driving me up the wall. So I used to have one of those uh, Keurig coffee makers, you know, the kind that, that make like one cup at a time. You, yeah. put, you put that little, you know, plastic insert that has the coffee grounds right. in it and – it's a lazy man's barista. Exactly. So, and it's the cheap man's barista. So, um, I had one of those uh, a while ago, and those machines—they're just really horrible machines. So, I think it only worked for like a couple of weeks, and then it stopped working. And so, I had this huge box full of the the coffee, those little plastic, you know, one cup coffee deals, coffee grounds. And uh, so my wife, uh, you know, maybe like three, four weeks ago, she asked me, she goes, um, hey, do you, do, you, do you mind if I throw those out? And I'm like, well, no, they're still good. I mean, you know, it's coffee grounds. And like someday I would buy a new Keurig machine. So I ended up getting one of those for Christmas. So, you know, I get the machine, you know, and I, I bust it out, you know, on Christmas and I'm making some coffee. And then I decided this morning that I would, you know, try some of the coffee that I'd already had. Because, you know, it only comes with like, five in the box, you know, when you buy a, a new machine. Right. So I, I go up to the uh, the cabinet and I look on the box and it says best if used by September <laughs> 2011. <laughs> <laughs> so they're a little bit old, but, uh, but I'm trying it today. And I got to tell you, you know, because I'm not a like connoisseur of coffee, it's, it's not so bad. You, you know, there might be something to that. Maybe, maybe the older the violin, the sweeter the music. It might might be like a you know aged coffee thing. You could start something. It could be, could be, but I'm not 100 percent on good, that. Good. It just says best if used by 2000. That's maybe. what I. That was my argument. I'm like, it's it best if it's used by September of 2011. Yeah. Doesn't it could say have like taking you through time. It would have been so good. It's like go like warp you into another dimension if it was you know. Doesn't wine get by. better with age? And you know, I mean, it's apparently. Close. Apparently, that's what they say. I think that's a way to like sell wine. <laughs> just, we've got this old that we couldn't get rid of. So let's we got a bunch in the in the cellar, man. It's really good because it's old. Actually, one of my one of my really good buddies is a uh, total wine snob. I mean, he's got you know the full on really expensive wine refrigerator and all these bottles of wine in it. And he's like, look, if you just buy an average ten dollar bottle and stick it in the refrigerator for a year, it'll be great in a year. So, yeah, yeah. There must be something yeah. to it. And price is no guide to how good your wine is. I I had a buddy who was a he was an older guy and he was a a very experienced wine connoisseur, and he said price is no indicator. So I always buy cheap wine. I'd be like, hey, two buck Joe's man, two buck Chuck ninety nine. That's my bottle right there. Two buck Chuck. <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, hey, what's wait, the next you topic? You introduce man? our guest today. I well, I barely even understand what the topic is, let alone who our guest is. I think I've had like four conversations with our guest in my entire <laughs> life, and she's been sitting here patiently going, "Are they going to actually talk to me?" <laughs> no, I had to go make a cup of coffee. Oh, you guys are making me thirsty. Ooh, <laughs> Pete, you really <laughs> sold that 2011 <laughs> pass it sell by date coffee. I'm telling you, Pete, you are a good salesman. Well, you know, I do my best. So anyway, on today's podcast, we have the uh, very talented, very lovely Mrs. Jones. 
I'd clap, whoop, whoop. but I, I have no sound is that, is that my cue to say hello? There, there you go. <laughs> hello. Welcome to the podcast, babe. I can't say that to any other guests. I, can you imagine if I tried to pull that with Phil Yancey? Welcome to the podcast, babe. <laughs> Phil Yancey was fun, but um, that oh, was a Philip, very serious podcast. Philip Yancey. Oh, yes. I'm sorry, man. Boy, did we screw that one up, huh? Oh, man. I thought he was going to hang up on us. <laughs> I loved how he kept correcting you. No, it's Philip Yancey. Yeah, yeah. Before we got rolling, I kept saying, uh, so, you know, Phil. And he'd go, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> he hates me already. So, um, yeah, he Peyton, was, he why, was a great guy. Why do we have so, your, your wife on the uh, podcast today? Well, uh, we should probably tell you because you're conducting the interview. The uh, the purpose. <laughs> Thanks uh, for letting you me should tell me too. <laughs> Both of you. Okay. All right. Everybody, we're all our listener and you guys are going to learn all at the same time. So we're on here today talking about church planning. <coughs> Excuse me. That was not for effect. I know some sometimes Pete puts uh, sound effects in there, but I actually forgot to load up my iPad, so I can't do the oh, sound man. effects. Oh, don't tell them the secret. Now they know we record on Friday, and we use iPads for sound effects. <laughs> now they know all our secrets. Here, here's the deal. Um, we have to kill our listener now, but we're going to talk today about church planning um, as as a couple. Like it, it's all fine and good for me to talk, you know. The, you know, for me, from my perspective, we talked about where he says, you know, Paul gives a qualification for leader. He says uh, the husband of one wife, uh, able to to lead his household, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I talked about that, but it's always best to have, you know, what he said, what she said. So, in other words, um, I asked my wife to, to, to come on today to talk about how awesome I am as a husband um, while we're planning churches. <laughs> And uh, she won't do that. She won't do that. No, it, it's really cool. Let me just introduce a little bit about my wife because uh, she has been my ministry partner over the years. She has been, I, I, and I said this on a previous podcast, and it's definitely true. Um, my number one church planning partner has always been Andrea, and it took me a while to see that. Like I didn't realize that when when I first started church planning. You know, you you're in ministry and you're uh, you're, you're the guy with the title, you know, and, and, and here often your wife in ministry is your un, unsung hero. She's going through all of the same stresses. You are all of the heartaches. In fact, in some ways it's more, uh, uh, frustrating because she's taking a lot of the same hits, but she doesn't have, uh, maybe the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, platform to act or to do stuff about it sometimes. So that can be hard. But Andrea was, uh, uh, when we were dating, it's so funny because I used to tell her because I was this this pastor, you know, I was on staff at a mega church and I would tell her, you know, babe, I can't guarantee you when we're dating, you know, that I'm going to head to the mission field. Um, I'm a preacher and I'll probably stay here. And um, and I, I saw myself lined up for the traditional uh, kind of gamut of pastoral ministry. And Andrew was like off to, to the UK. Um, when she was 18, we graduated high school and never forget. She was like, all right, goodbye at, at our graduation. She's like, bye everybody. I'm leaving. You know, uh, I, I, I threw a bunch of money at YWAM and said, Hey, take me as far, uh, and for as long as you can with this amount of money. And so she went, she, she got to Wales before I ever did. And then uh, while we were dating, she went um, for months out to uh, 
Thailand where she thought she'd spend the rest of her life uh, rescuing kids out of prostitution. So my wife's pretty hardcore and uh, she was the missionary that I wasn't. And over, it, it's just ironic because, you know, we used to, that was the tension in our dating relationship. Are we going to be together? Because Andrew is called the mission and, you know, I don't know that I am, you know, and I, I could honestly say I didn't really feel that my mission's heart was uh, where it should be. And here we are together. And so Andrew has been my number one church planning partner. We've been a team uh, since way back when I was doing youth ministry. I had a very lopsided group. I had all all young men in my group, in my youth group. Uh, and I would disciple them and, and spend time with them. Then Andrea comes on and, uh, you know, the group suddenly, all these girls start coming. And, uh, and, and, and I realize then, wow, you know, this is, this is cool. You know, like God wants to use us together. But, you know, over the years I did the thing that, that young guys do, you know, it's all about me. And, uh, you know, uh, every once in a while I still slip into the, the same mistake where I'll talk about what I'm doing. And, uh, the reality is it's always been team and there's no I in team, right, babe? <laughs> So, <laughs> see, that's why I keep her around. That was a crazy <laughs> No, it's great because Andrew and I, you know, like when I was in high school, and that is, sorry, this is my wife. I got to introduce her right. But when, when we were in, uh, in high school, you know, I'd be like dropping Lloyd-Jones and Spurgeon. And she was the only high school girl who knew what in the heck I was talking about. And she sat under this incredible Bible teacher, and she'd be like, Oh man, you got to come to my church. You know, you, you would love this guy, but she knew, um, you know, my heroes. And in fact, her, uh, brother-in-law, her, her oldest sister married Keith Green's best friend. So if you look through the, the Brown family photos, um, there's Keith Green in their family pictures. And of course he was one of my major heroes. And she's like, Oh, I knew him growing up. And, you know, at a young age, he had put his his hands on her and said, "This she's going to be a great woman of God. And she's going to serve him. And uh, and I can honestly say uh, to this day, just like in high school, there's no woman that I respect. And, you know, it's in to get brownie points, but there's no woman in ministry I respect more uh, than Andrea. And it's just awesome watching her heart, um, watching her serve people. And so, um, today we thought that we'd have her on and we would have her talk about things from her perspective. And maybe some of you guys out there that, you know, are kind of as big of a knucklehead as I used to be, uh, and still, uh, may, my wife might argue still am. Uh, but you know, some of you guys might be able to have your wives encourage. Um, and, uh, you know, no one really talks to your wife. Um, I can remember when we were at Orlando uh, at, at the exponential conference. And I had, uh, for Andrea's, uh, blog site, she writes, uh, for, uh, church planning is for girls.com and that's her blog. And so, you know, it's pretty funny because on the, on the front of the card we're handing out, it says church planning's for girls. And then uh, you turn over, it says who hit like boys. And, you know, the, the funny thing is when Andrew and I were uh senior year in high school, that's where we met. Um, we both got, what was it, babe? Was it like the, like the polio shot? Yeah, the polio shot, senior year in high school. And um, we were coming out, and I had a major crush on Andrew. She didn't know. We were friends, but, you know, she didn't see me that way yet. Um, the scales fell from her eyes eventually. That, that like, was when like you had hair, hair, too, right? I had hair down on my butt. 
yeah, I look like someone out of the red hot chili peppers. And, um, so anyways, uh, we're coming out of the, the, the nurse line and we both gotten our shot and I keep poking her, you know, cause it's like when you're five on the playground, I like you, but I can't do anything about it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you. And, uh, so, you know, I'm poking her shot, you know, um, it will, you know, what I didn't know at the time is like, she's the youngest of seven. She had a bunch of big brothers. She turns around and belts me so hard on the shoulder. And I thought, wow, that girl can punch better than I can. Like it hurt. <laughs> and I thought, man, I got to marry that one. So, you know, the, the, the reality is Andrea is a girl who hits like a boy. That's how I think of her in ministry. <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and so, you know, that was our card and, and I was handing out, I was stopping guys at exponential. There was like huge crowds of people. We had our new breed booth set up. And uh, of course we were starting church planner magazine and people were walking down the hall and I was like, you know, Hey man, your wife, you know, I was putting cards in people's hands and I'd, I'd walk up to these guys and say, Hey man, your wife just called. She said she needs encouragement. And I was just being a total punk, right? Just handing out, you know, Hey man, do you love your life? Yeah. Yeah. Give her this, you know, um, she'll love you more, you know, or something like that. I was just saying totally punk, stupid, stupid stuff. Well, but the, let's, well, I was going to say the reality is the reason we have her on, and then I'm going to shut up now, um, is that nobody's talking to the wives. No one's talking to 50% of our church planners out there. Mm. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> After all that. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, Andrea, uh, you know, after that, uh, you know, great introduction as, as only a proud About husband how violent can do. my punch Peyton. Right, right. <laughs> she keeps me in line. Can you, if you would, I should say, tell us your, your story of, um, how you came to faith and, and, you know, we've made this comment before. I, I can't remember if we've done it here on the podcast or it was something else, but I remember saying something to, uh, to Peyton at one time I go, dude, your wife's more of a missionary than you are. And, so true. Yeah. So why don't you tell us what's your, what's your story of, you know, how you came to faith and, and I how was, that led I to where you are I was saved in today. the womb, Pete. Woohoo! Like, no. <laughs> the funny thing is like, I say that laughing, but because, you know, in our background, we, there's such a huge emphasis about a huge conversion experience. And as a kid growing up in the church, I never had a huge conversion experience. And I used to think, especially because all my older siblings got saved during the hippie movement and they were all ex-druggies and things like that. I used to think, well, I guess I'm going to have to go do a lot of drugs, get drunk, do a whole bunch of bad stuff so that I can get saved. That's what attracted and, Peyton to you. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm for, you know, fortunately, I'm a bad girl. I never did those things, but I used to always, every time there's an altar call or whatever, I used to walk up thinking, has it happened yet? And, um, but I think from a very young age, I knew I loved the Lord. I just, it made sense. Um, I thought, why would I not do that? I saw the paths that people took without God and they just got chewed up. And so I just, at a young age, I just kind of thought, you know what, this makes sense. It's, you know, that's my creator. I'm, I need to follow him. So you, you it's, grew up in a Christian family? Somewhat. Um, my oldest sister got saved. Um, she was six, 17 years older than me. So she got saved about the time um, I was born. My parents, my mother's Greek Orthodox. So we used to go to the Greek Orthodox church. I was baptized 
um, as an infant in the Greek Orthodox Church. And um, <clears throat> but my sister came to know the Lord quite young and just kind of went through my whole family just saying, you know, we need to get right with God. We need to, you know, learn about him, meet him and not just do the religious stuff. And um, she had a complete transformation and um, it kind of worked its way through my whole family. So my mom was really had her conversion about the time I was maybe four or five. So she was learning about the Lord as I was growing up. And um, so I kind of watched my mom as a young kid um, really begin to to try to understand what it meant to be a Christian and, and follow God and learn about him. And so, um, so over the years, I mean, my family, you know, they, they all, you know, had different backgrounds um, as far as, you know, addictions and different things. And over the years, the Lord just began to transform every one of their lives. And I was the youngest, so I got to watch it all. So I sat back and watched the mistakes everybody else made and then said, yeah, that one doesn't work. I won't do that. We'll hmm. do that. And um, <clears throat> but at about nine, uh, like Peyton said, uh, I was out visiting Keith Green in um, in Texas with my oldest sister. And um, we were over at his house one night. And the thing that really affected me is I was, you know, my dad wasn't a Christian at the time. And I was watching him play with his kids and roll around and just love on them and um, really admired him for that. You know, I didn't really know at that point what a great, you know, man of God he was. I just, as a kid, saw things about him. And I remember overhearing him in the hallway talking to my sister. And I walked up. And he looked down at me and he said, you know, your sister's a Christian, isn't she? And I was like, am I? You know, like, wow, that would be cool. And um, he, he said to her in front of me, um, she's going to grow up to be a woman of God. And I remember <clears throat> being so excited that, so I can be a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm nine, but I can. Like, that's amazing. Hmm. And um, I went home and I told my teachers when I grew up, I was going to be a missionary and um, a veterinarian. <laughs> so that was that was for me the beginning of accepting that I could actually be a Christian as a kid and I I didn't have to go and you know go off the rails or anything. So that's kind of the background and from there I just knew I was going to be a missionary at that point and so when I hit ninth grade I just and I started working I just saved my money until I graduated to go on my first missionary trip um, when I was 18. And that was to Wales. Wow. You know, it, it's funny that. you mention uh, about Keith Green. And one of the cool things is obviously because he's one of my heroes, all of Andrew's uh, brothers and sisters are a bit older than her. She was uh, born when her mom was 40. So they were all of that hippie generation. I mean, the sister she talked about was there almost at the dawn at Calvary Chapel, definitely when the spirit first started moving, was there in the living room as a vineyard was starting up. And, uh, you know, what's funny is all, uh, you know, most of Andrew's brothers and sisters weren't saved, uh, when Keith, you know, was when they were all getting married and Keith Green was around there. And of course he was in some of the weddings. And so I remember, uh, asking my brother-in-law, I'm like, Hey, you know, what, uh, what was he like? You know? And I was, I was kind of expecting like, them to say, oh, you know, he was, it was like when you're around him, it was like, you know, your hair stood on end and you felt a presence of, and they all said he was funny. That's what we remember. Hmm. He had, he was a trickster. He was a prankster. 
Um, he was really relaxed. He was really funny. He's down and, to earth. Yeah, just down to earth, just a real guy. But I mean, man, the spirit of God anointed that dude. And that was really, I, I think, a lesson for me that when the spirit really has you, um, you can be yourself. When you know how to walk in the Holy Spirit and walk, you know, when the scripture says walk in the spirit, you don't put on this different personality. You don't try to be, you just, you be who you are and you let the spirit work through you and move through. You. And you, you become secondary. You become almost a non-important entity. And, uh, and I, I just, that, that sparked that, um, just, you know, having those firsthand accounts of someone that was so anointed, it's a real gift. Hmm. So when you went to Wales, um, was it that supposed to be a short-term missions trip? Uh, um, <clears throat> I went for I went for six weeks. Um, I, I left the day I gra- the day after I graduated, and I went to discipleship training with YWAM, and then I went off to Wales. Um, unfortunately, when I got there, I got really sick and I got glandular fever, which is kind of like our mono, but slightly different, and I got. Um, I kept hiding it from my teammates and my leader because I didn't want them to send me back. I was like, no way. I've, I've worked this long and this hard to be out here. They're not going to send me back. <clears throat> and I hid it so long that they actually had to take me to the hospital because I couldn't breathe. My throat was so swollen up. And <clears throat> my team had to, <clears throat> excuse me, my team had to leave me. Um, I only got to see Wales. The rest of the team went on to Ireland and Scotland. And they had to leave me in Wales. They actually, um, moved up to Hull, England, and dumped me off there with a um, a woman pastor that was working in the Anglican church there. And I had to stay with her in her house until I recovered. And they all left and went back to America. So <clears throat> my mom was freaking out, and I couldn't talk to even tell her I was okay. And I just, I sat in this woman's house for, it must have been another four weeks at least. And, um, you know, up to that point, <clears throat> I had never seen a lot in our background of what women did within the church. Um, most of what I saw women do within the church were like childcare. I didn't hmm. at that point see, you know, at that point it was even controversial for women to lead worship. I mean, you definitely would not have a woman worship leader. And um, so for me to be used by God meant I had to go to the mission field. Um, I, if I wanted to be in full-time ministry, I had to go to the mission field. So here I sat with this woman, and this may be controversial, but she was a godly woman. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm living, I'm in this house with this woman pastor. And I don't, I don't, is she saved? You know, and I had all those, you know, questions and everything. And she was an amazing woman of God. And it really started a thought process in me as a young woman. Well, what is our role within the church? I always hear about what we can't do. But I don't hear about what the Lord wants to use, how the Lord wants to use our gifts. And if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for all of us, then where is our place to use it within the church? And so that started a lifelong quest and a lot of um, debates between Peyton and I through our dating years. (laughs) And um, I was I was like, you know, you you can do child care and and everything else. You know, Um, you got to stay away from. And and I remember going back. I still feel that. I go, I, I remember going back and talking to my pastor about it and saying, she was an amazing woman of God. She's being used by the Lord in all the ways I want to be used. And, um, you know, I, I really had a, a lot of questions for my pastor and he was, he was good. He was kind to me about it. And, 
um, he was actually one of the first pastors I know to put a woman worship leader up on stage. And he got a lot of heat for that um, because, you know, he was told. I remember that. that. I remember he was that told that, you know, men are radical. visual and uh, they can't be watching women on stage and all this stuff. And, and I, <laughs> I remember going, what? You know, so we we um, that was like kind of the beginning of just my heart for women in ministry and to see their gifts used and, and not sidelined that we have over 50 percent of our church that we aren't accessing their gifts. And um, even if you hold like the most conservative view, like people when they're like, hey, you know, I believe, you know, that women can't, um, you know, as Paul says, teach and have authority. Even then, even if you're taking a very hardline stance on that passage, uh, women can evangelize. I mean, why not have a woman evangelist? Why not? Even if you're taking that stance. One of the things that uh, that I love uh, about John Wesley is he recognized that, and he had women preachers, and they they went out and they shared the gospel, and you know even even by today's standard, I mean we're hundreds of years later, he was in the 1700s, and we're still not as radical or is forthcoming. And even in the scripture, you see glimpses where women did tons more um, than, than what they do today. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because growing up in a, in a Baptist family with a, you know, a dad who's a, a Baptist minister, um, you would never have women leading ever. And I mean, my mom felt the same way. I mean, my mom was like very adamant that, you know, the, the man is supposed to be doing this and she was there to support, you know, my dad, but that was what her role was. And it's one of those things that I have throughout my entire life been very uncomfortable. Anytime I see a woman up in front, I'm like, okay, what is this church? You know, like all those (laughs) thoughts start going through my head, kind of like what you were experiencing, Andrea, with that lady, you know, is she saved kind of a thing? You know, I'm like, what kind of church is this? And I remember it wasn't that long ago, but um, Peyton was preaching on Sunday the very uh, last few verses of uh, Colossians. And um, and it talks about, I don't remember the gal's name. I'm sure you know it. Both of you probably know it off the top of your heads. You know, um, but it said, you know, in her house church, you know, Paul was saying, you know, Say hi to her and her and I just remember Peyton goes, yeah, huh? That's the way we do it. I mean, you know, and he's like, you know, pointing out, look, there's a, there's a, um, there, there's a, you know, a, a woman here. And I remember I started reading, like as I was reading from that point forward, I'm like noticing all these uh, uh, sections about women in ministry and um, prophecies that they're giving, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting. So I mean I you know I'll be the first to admit that I I don't have any knowledge uh you know I, I just have my own baggage of what I've grown up with but um kind of going back to to the topic though okay you've always had this bent of uh being a missionary so what happens after you get back to Wales like between that and was the next mission trip when you went to Thailand or or Yeah so I came back from Wales and uh at that time, my father passed away, and Peyton and I started hanging out. 
and um, we just were friends. And you know, my my next um, goal was to to head to Thailand, and so I had started saving for that. I'd been in the missions um, school at my church, and we were praying over different countries. And I really felt a passion that I was supposed to go to Thailand, and um, I thought I was going to go there for the rest of my life. And at that point, Peyton and I um, started hanging out a bit more and. You know, he started praying for me about going to Thailand. I started praying with him. And, you know, we just knew that at that point that God did want us together. But I also had this passion for the mission field. And I didn't see how the how he felt very called to stay in, at that point, Huntington Beach. And I very, felt very called not to be anywhere near the Huntington Beach. Which, and, uh, Absolutely ironic now, like looking back, because my entire life now is devoted to being on the move, to expanding the kingdom of God, to resisting the temptation to taking a big, comfy, uh, lush pastorate um, with a full paycheck. Like it, it's just absolutely ironic. You know, God has a sense of humor and, and it proves once again that my wife's usually right. <laughs> Well, I do think it was a bit more spiritual than that, but <laughs> not just me being right. I felt it was the Lord that Peyton and I were supposed to be together because I I knew that I was called to the mission field, but I also knew that I had had an experience when I wasn't even dating Peyton um, where the, the Lord said, you're going to marry Peyton. And I hadn't even seen him for like a year. And I never told him this. I didn't even believe in it. I Weren't just you dating about another it. dude at that time or something like that? I was. Yeah, it's no, I actually, I was broken up with him because he wasn't going to be a missionary. <laughs> See, I, I had been, but, but I was out to dinner with him, and we bowed our heads to pray. But we were we were broken up. We were friends, and um, I heard audibly, like a crazy person, "You're going to marry Peyton." I looked up and I looked at the guy I was hanging out with, and he was still praying. So I cl- closed my eyes again. And I heard it for a second time, and this has never happened to me before. And I just thought I was going nuts. I went home, journaled about it as I normally journal just, and I, I put it down. I actually wrote this. Maybe it's Satan trying to stop me from going to the mission field. <laughs> That's what most women thought when they heard can go like find this in my journals. It was really funny though. And funny enough is that I hadn't seen Peyton for a year at that point. And that next semester we got in the same history class in university together and I was like, no way. And I walk in the class, I sit down, and Peyton's across the other side of the room, and he comes over and moves his desk right up against my desk and starts sitting down and talking. And I was like, no, this is crazy. And well, slowly, I, but- I had sat in front of her in high school English class, and she walks in, and I'm with this dude from my church who happens to be in the same class. I ditched him. Uh, but basically, she walks in, and she's walking across the room. I said, hey. See that girl walking in right there? That's the girl I want to marry. And we, you know, we had fallen out of contact for, you know, maybe a year and a half, I think it was. I think this was the uh, the spring semester of our second year in college. So, so whenever you guys get into fights, does Peyton just go, remember, God told you, you have to marry me. <laughs> and I just say, it was Satan. It was. It was Satan. <laughs> I, now I know I it was love- Satan. <laughs> I love the story because to me, I find it hilarious that she's out at dinner with another dude and God had only spoken to her, I think one other time prophetically in her life. Well, the and thing is, so- is I broke up with him because I felt that I wasn't going to marry. I was going to go to the mission field mm-hmm. because what I wanted to do 
and this was again came back to my experience um, living with that woman in England as I felt if I married I was going to be confined within the church to a certain role and I wanted to break out of that and I wanted to go to the mission field and I just wanted to use my gifts and I felt, well, if I get married, I'm going to have to, you know, and I especially didn't want to marry a pastor. There's two things. I didn't want to marry a doctor and I didn't want to marry a pastor because I felt, you know, I heard a lot from other pastor's wives. Well, if you marry a pastor, you just expect that he's going to be gone all the time and you're going to be with the kids and you expect that your role mm. is to support him. And it wasn't that I didn't want to support my husband, but I felt there was a call for me to do something on the mission field. And, um, but then when God said that to me, I was like, okay, is this God, is this, is this Satan? What's this? I thought I was supposed to be single. And um, so when I, Peyton and I started hanging out for a long time, I would I was just like, we're not dating. We're just friends. I'm heading to Thailand. But I kept having to go back to, okay, Lord, is this you? Is this you? Is it, are we supposed to be together? Or is this a distraction? And, you know, you play those mental gymnastics, and especially as a 20-year-old. And um, I, I, I left to Thailand. I did, I did go to Thailand, and, um, you know, he supported me. He was really awesome in supporting me and wrote me letters every single day when I was there, and I still have them. And um, when I was there, back. when I was there, I got to do all the things I wanted to do. I got to teach. I got to disciple. I got to even teach in a, a public school. but I. I was, I had an outlet for my gifts that wasn't being offered to me within the church, except for, um, with the two and three year olds. And I really was felt called to do something different. And, um, at that point, I remember teaching, it was a, it was a mixed group of, um, Thai men and women, um, who were leaders in the orphanage there. And they just wanted some teaching in English, partly to learn English. And just they had a, a little small group that they did kind of like our home studies. And people would rotate within their group leading and teaching. And they just were all using their gifts. It wasn't a matter of um, big role, like you are the pastor and you're not. It was they were all in a group and they took turns leading and teaching each other. And it, it was really it was really precious. And so I, I got to use my gifts there. And I remember going back to my room one night and just praying and sitting there. And again, I felt it wasn't as audible or anything, but I just felt I was journaling and I felt the Lord say, what you are going to go to the mission field, but what you're going to do, you're going to be doing with Peyton. And, you know, I, I came back from Thailand and, you know, there was this real in my heart. Um, at that point, it was like a, almost like a dying of a dream. And where I've kind of felt like, oh, I, um, I have to completely shift gears. And I, I know I'm called to be with Peyton. I love being with Peyton. I know we're going to do ministry together for the rest of our lives. But what is this going to look like? And I had to really let go of, of the dream that I was holding on to at that point. And um, it was, it was amazing though. Peyton and I, when we started dating, when I came back, I think a transformation happened to him too when I was away in Thailand where God started stirring his heart towards missions. And at that point um, he was trying to take this course called perspectives on missions that I had asked him to take. And I had taken and his pastor wouldn't let him. And he, um, he was really disappointed about not being able to take that. And, you know, so 
I came back and we started talking about, well, how is this going <clears> to <throat> work? How is this going to work with you being a pastor and me being a missionary? And um, we actually said, well, there's whales. And that's something we both, it will meet the need in both of us, him for pastoring me for using my gifts on the mission field and breaking out of the American Christian culture. Um, so that was where we started setting ourselves to. And Raz, I, I want to jump in here and ask you a question. What's been the hardest thing for you? Because, you know, here, here we've kind of established the fact that you're um, very much cut out for ministry. And you mentioned the death of a dream. Um, what, you know, and, and be honest on this, because, you know, it's part of the, I mean, some of the, the mistakes I made, obviously other guys are going to make. Um, what were some of the hardest things of having a desire to be used by God and being married to me <laughs> well, or being I, in ministry with me? Like what, you know, share some of your struggles. What were some of the, the difficult things? Well, it kind of goes with some of the best things, funny enough, is, you know, together in ministry, it's kind of like our marriage as well. When we hit conflict, we have two choices to polarize and pull in opposite directions or to come together and make a better solution. And I think it was the, the same with, with ministry is um, in coming together and us getting married. Um, I had to stop doing my lone woman thing and you had to stop doing your lone single guy thing. And when God brought us together, he actually, I, I was really, I was really bad about that, by the way. Um, yeah. I mean, we had to, and I was too, to be honest. I mean, I was a young woman and I was a little bit bitter that I had to um, just all of a sudden stop teaching because I was within the church. And, you know, I started doing discipleship gr groups with girls, but still there was this, this struggle in me, like, wait, what's, you know, where's the, where, why can't we just be like you guys? We're, you know we're part of the, the spirit of God's team as well. And I think when we came together, we had a lot of those debates and we really honed each other. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was you know, just working through I, I what God was going to call us to. Yeah. And one of those debates I'll never forget where I, my mind started changing. Like I got to look at this biblically because I've obviously got, some man-made tradition here that, you know, obviously Paul says what he says in Timothy. And so that has to be, you know, kind of worked with. And and to be honest, in the Timothy passage, there's a couple different ways you could take it. And um, and and I haven't completely uh, worked out my view on the Timothy passage, although I've got some leanings. But, but here's the deal. Um, I remember, Andrew, I was a youth pastor when we were dating. And then I became an assistant pastor. And, and what was interesting is my role was changing. I was beginning to address a congregation, this and that. And Andrew's very much a leader in this youth group. And I remember at that time, I was like, only I can teach the youth. And I remember Andrew saying, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Why is it that I can, uh, I can teach children? but I can't teach youth. And then she said, and at what age do I become like a leper? You know, like hmm. at what age, you know, is it five? Is it, no, that's okay. Is it 10? No. Is it puberty? Well, where do you get that from the scripture? Like, 
at what point do I do I not have the ability? And she and I remember her saying, the youth group, is it the church? And I said, no, the church is, you know, I mean, it's it's just a small group. And she was like, well, you know, on in a small group, you know, uh, we all teach each other in a small group Bible study. So why why is that okay there? And I just remember kind of not having all of the answers and realizing that uh, by taking that First Timothy passage, we hadn't really thought through the implications of what Paul was saying. And again, you know, I allow the fact that there's some who uh, come out on that passage, uh, you know, maybe saying, well, look, you know, like there's a great evangelical uh, scholar by the name of Towner, Philip Towner, who without violating, without going straight to the cultural argument and says, hey, boom, 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 you know, we, uh, Paul didn't know what he's talking about. He upholds a scripture and he says, but, you know, he does some great research on it and says, but this is why Paul's saying that, um, boom, 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 let's read it in the context. Uh, so he would be without, you know, I never, never entertain liberal interpretations of scripture. But then you have your moderates who say, well, you know, boom, boom, maybe somewhere in them. And then you have your conservatives that are like, hey, man, women, they can't do jack. And then they start throwing out things like, but maybe this, if there's a covering, and then you start stripping. And I remember Andrew stripping that away. Well, what does that mean? And how does that work? And so, you know, what I realized was that, you know, we haven't we haven't really addressed um this whole issue of what women can and can't do effectively. But I remember some of those arguments where I didn't realize all the baggage that came with it. Um, some of our traditions are just that. They are traditions. And you have to look at these things. What can uh, a female do? And, and in your church plant, that's extremely important. Um, uh, I've mentioned before that, that Di Hanke on uh, a Sunday morning um, would have testimonies, and you know he, he's very much the preacher in his church. But um, but you know it was really an eye opener for him because he's very uh, conservative on this issue. And yet, what happened was um, one Sunday morning he let his wife get up instead of him preaching and share her testimony for the entire length of uh, what would normally be given to the preaching. And at that time, he was kind of discouraged as a church planner. There hadn't been a lot of fruit, and um, he hadn't really been seeing a lot. Uh, he had had lots of gospel conversations, done lots of outreach, lots of sowing, lots of watering, no reaping. And that morning, Michelle, his wife, got up and shared her testimony, and three ladies got saved. She shared about how she had been clinically depressed. She had even been in an institution for a little while because her depression had been so severe. And then she shared, you know, the Lord came into her life and, um, and, and a lot of the, the depression was dealt with. She was never the same. And, uh, you know, and, and that was just her story. And she shared that. Well, of course, she's in a, in a neighborhood where 60 to 70 percent in post-industrial South Wales are unemployed. So the unemployment is just staggering um, in Wales. The neighborhoods are extremely poor and all the vices that come with the lower uh, socioeconomic status, and the spirit just dropped a bomb that morning, and and I came away just you know kind of in an, in an aftershock, you know, like what just happened? You know, here I was, big preacher man, but God wanted to use my wife, 
Hmm. And, and I think that's super liberating. Um, for me, when I hear it, I know it was liberating for Die. And it's not, you know, I know our guys are going, hey, I don't know, but First Timothy, you know, I don't know what to do with that passage. And that's cool. But, but step back and think these things through like John Wesley did. Stop back and think because your wife has gifts and she has things that, that God's called her to do. And our traditions may actually be getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do um, through uh, our wives. And, you know, I don't want to spend, um, you know, much more on this particular podcast on this issue, which is a, you know, it's its own dicey issue, as we've already said. Um, so this will be my last comment on it, because I really want to get back to uh, church planning and um and looking at it from Andrea's uh, perspective, but you know, as you know, Peyton, this this last uh, couple of months, I've I've spent um, you know my own personal uh, Bible time rereading the uh, the New Testament, and you know, I'm reading the uh, the ESV version, and one of the things I, I find really interesting is everywhere where it says um, you know brothers, when Paul is is speaking to uh, the brothers. The the Greek word for that means brothers and sisters, yeah. and it's 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 just interesting to me because the version that I'm reading, you know, it's got the little footnote, and every time I see the word brothers, it's got the footnote, and of course now on the footnote it says, you know, this means brothers and sisters, but I I just wonder if part of uh my own kind of indoctrination, if you will, is you know Paul's speaking to the brothers, he's speaking to the men. You know, and, and part of this whole this is a man's thing. We're supposed to be leading, and we are supposed to be leading. But realizing, but that's not. I mean, Paul was speaking to the women in the church too. He was saying brothers and sisters. Yeah, and um, it's just it's really interesting when I started going back and rereading the New Testament from that point of view of looking at um, you know what's being said, who it's being said to, and who's doing what. Yeah. And if you take the first century litmus test which was, how's the Holy Spirit showing up? I mean, because the Holy Spirit was the litmus test. Yeah, That absolutely. was how they knew that the Gentiles were, were you know, allowed in, if you will. Oh, well, exactly. the Holy Spirit's showing up. Well, then, you know, who are we to say? And, you know, I think if you take that same litmus test and apply it to uh, what women are doing, I mean, that's kind of an eye-opener because, I mean, if God's yeah. for it, <laughs> you know, well, and and here's the thing, like getting back, because I want to ask another question. Um, but uh, on that whole subject, um, when you're talking about, you know, what happened in, in the early church, you did see teams. And that's the thing. Priscilla and Aquila are a gospel team. Yeah. And, and that's what we're saying is, is recognize your wife as your first partner in the work. Even if you're serving with another guy who's a pastor and you're going to co-plant together, realize that that's not your first church planning partner. And I think that's a major shift that every church planner, you know, we're stupid. Men, we're thick. It takes us a while. Our wives have to remind us, hey, family, you know, that that's one thing that's been really cool for me is to be reminded of what's really important by my wife. Because whenever she encourages me to pull back, this is how having a wife in ministries helped me. All the stuff that the veteran guys say at the end of their ministry that they wish they had done, my wife's always reminded me of that stuff now when I'm young-ish. 
And mm-hmm. what what she'll do is she'll she'll say, well, babe, you know, maybe this and that. Because of her track record and because of who she is, I respect it when she tells me to hold back. This isn't a woman who's just like selfish and, hey, man, you know, I want to get my lattes and manicures and go to um, what's that stupid store, Nordstrom's and, you know, whatever. She she's basically a, a, a great. You just devoted. got rid of all your Nordstrom listeners. Yeah, you got they're church planters. <laughs> they're not Nordstrom <laughs> yeah, shoppers. Don't go to Nordstrom. So, yeah, Joey probably shops. Well, there's the rack Nordstrom. now, so. But but here's the deal: is that you know that's not my wife, so I have to respect that. But but interestingly enough, Paul starts there in the qualifications and says, "Hey, first thing, your family, right?" So, so, you know, it's just amazing. Like, and that's what our wives do. So, um, and they will do that. You will be a more effective minister for listening to your wife. And Paul gives that, that, uh, absolute, um, uh, justification for you needing to do that when he says, look, and a married man must please not only the Lord, but his wife also. And so, you know, you are, you are, she's not the one holding you back in ministry. She is the one that is going to be your greatest partner, your greatest asset in ministry if you know how to handle it right. And then also, you know, Paul says in, in the qualifications, he says, you know, men, these, these are what you need to do. And then he turns and he says, the wives also. That's not just a way of Paul saying, well, look, she better not screw it up for you, pal. He's actually saying she needs to be qualified because you two are in this together. If there weren't New Testament teams that served together, or Paul didn't talk about some of the women that were servants, or you didn't have women following Jesus around, I would maybe be, you know, oh, yeah, they're just, you know, the add-ons. But the reality is Paul gives them, both the deacons and the elders, um, qualifications of their own. Uh, that are necessary because you will be a gospel team. But get, getting back to uh, couples and church planning, um, as hardcore as my wife is, um, it, church planning can be rough on the family, um, particularly if, like me, you've, you've been a serial planner or you're working within a network and you have to travel. Um, babe, what, what's been the hardest part for you? Um, and, and it's interesting because I think you – uh, with our church planning um, experiences, there's been times where you've been more switched on than I have in the beginning. Um, I think every had... everyone has been different. And with, you know, with us at church planting, it is you're on frontline mission and you're on frontline mission together. And, you know, if you aren't on the same page together, then part of your team is lacking and it's not going to go well. And I think for us, um, in every one of the church plants, we've had different challenges and we've had to get our heads together and we've had to, to overcome, you know, some of the, the different obstacles. And I think um, early on, it was great because it was just you and I um, for a lot of it. And we were just out like, you know, two lone ranges, just getting the work done. And I think there came a shift. And during that time, we went through, you know, our seven, eight years of infertility. So we were dealing with that at that time. Um, but I think I know God knew what he was doing in the sense that we really got to establish that team ministry during those years and getting work done together and ministering to the men and women together. And um, that's been a great part. I think the adjustment came 
um, for me at times when we would get, for example, our last church in, in Pillar, um, so tied in emotionally and then think, okay, we're going to have to leave and move on to plant another one. I think that for me has been the hardest aspect about being the serial church planters. There's some you know, I won't do names. It was like, yes, we're leaving. But there, <laughs> there's other ones uh, like Pillar that it was, oh, Lord, you're you're going to have to give me a new heart because mine has just been left there. And then now with Long Beach, too, you know, our hearts get tied in and we don't want to leave and we are leaving forever this time, but we aren't there every week. And I think that can be hard because I'm very much um, a relational person and I want to start getting into relations. I want to start seeing people grow. I want to be a part of a specific church community. And if we have to leave every three years, that's been the hardest bit for me um, or three, four years. Yeah. And I know God, I know that was a season and God's doing different things. But the other hardest thing was when we had our first girl. And at that, up to that point, up until I was 35 years old, I had all the time to myself to, and you to just do ministry together as a team. And then Liberty was born, you know, the child that I'd been dreaming about for so long. We finally get her. And then there's the shift to like, wait, so you get to be a father and a minister and I don't get to do anything but only be home. And, you know, and yet I so wanted to be home. I didn't want anybody else to be with her. I wanted to be with her. And I remember at that time you seeing that struggle in me where, yes, I wanted to be a full-time mom, but I still wanted to do this teaching that I was enjoying doing with the women and with the youth. And and I was thinking, well, how can we marry these two things and my child not going to daycare because I don't believe in that. And you at that point, you know, after seeing me in a lot of tears and frustration, <laughs> you, I, I remember at a certain point you were like, well, and I think I kind of argued this a bit, you know, we're good at arguing us too. And yeah, we are. <laughs> we, we work things out. So I think at, at one point you said, well, you ministering to the women is part of the church. And that makes the church healthier as a whole. And I said, yeah, so now that part isn't going to be healthy. And it's going to kill me if, you know, I don't get to do that. And someone else starts doing that aspect. And and you said, well, that should be part of my work day. That, you know, it should be part of this whole team thing that, you know, maybe I watch Liberty for that hour. Or if you put her down to sleep, I'll just be home with her and you go teach the women. And that's part of the ministry team. And I remember just this weight falling off my back, like, yeah, so she gets a little bit of time with you, and I get to use my gift, and it just seemed like such an awesome balance yeah. that we discovered in our marriage. Now, with number two, it's been a bit more, <laughs> well, <laughs> we're working a, that one out. We've got but, a baby that's in and out of the hospital. And yeah, she's in the hospital like all the time. So there's different phases, different stages, and different callings, um, but at the same time, you, you know, because he didn't want his house to keep getting rearranged and because for me, I'm quite an energetic person. If I don't get that energy out somewhere, he gets his house rearranged like every week. And the, he comes home and the, the furniture has moved in different places. <laughs> and yeah. so he's like, okay, we need to uh, get you using your gift. And so it, it's even, it's even, you know, and I know Pete, you, you do the same balancing act as well uh, with your wife and in her career. 
but it, it's really interesting because um, even like with your writing ministry with uh, I mean, you, you know, you guys would know this unless you've been to church planning is for uh, She's also writes amazing fiction. She's an English lit major and has a creative writing master's degree. And, she, you know, she enters these things and wins awards for writing. Um, she for I, I've just had my first magazine article in leadership journal. Um, but, uh, Andrea, you know, she writes one thing like, and this magazine's like, Hey, we want to feature your, your article. I mean, you know, and, and so part of me as a husband is, you know, here's a woman that even though she's called the ministry, she's made lots of sacrifices, uh, not only sometimes on the paycheck, but on some of her preferences, you know, cause there is a give take that, that we do with each other with, sometimes where we're going in life. But, but, you know, even though, uh, like because of the distance of where we've just been planting, we've just folded that up and handed that off to a team and we're getting ready to do something a little bit, uh, you know, maybe spread out a bit more in, in North County, San Diego. Um, so, so there's not the same opportunity, but I will give half of a, a of my work day, um, to watch the kids so that Andrea can write because that is a part of her ministry. And I think if you are a team, then there needs to be teamwork. There needs to be uh, what two of our, our oldest friends uh, back in Wales, and I mean that in years, they are elderly, uh, and they have an awesome marriage. And the, I remember one of them saying, you know, we said, how do you make it work? Because, you know, we had, we had you know, both been kind of stubborn and, and, and made marriage harder than it probably needed to be at times. And kind of stubborn. <laughs> I didn't want to say you were really stubborn, but, <laughs> but anyways, what, what happened was, you know, he, he made, he just smiled and said, it's really simple for us. Uh, I give up and she gives in. That's it. <laughs> and, and that was their way. That was their philosophy is they yielded to one another. Um, like it says, you know, we always we always talk about where it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, it, but we never go to the verse right before that that says submit to one another. And there needs to be uh, for for you as a team that I believe that that is the first verse of that passage that Paul's actually saying you both need to submit to one another, and here's what here's how you specifically uh, wives. And husbands, how you submit, how you make this thing work. You're in a three-legged race, and you don't want to be a two-headed monster. And and so that's how I do that. You know, I I support her ministry. She supports what I would call my ministry. But where the sweet spot is, is when we find our ministry. Hmm. How do you see? And perhaps, Andrea, this is more for you. How do you see the team dynamic as it comes to church planning? Like, as, as you look at planning a church, um, which you guys are now going to be helping other people, what do you see your role as in that whole process? Me specifically or us as a... As a team, Sunday school. Yeah. All the way. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is... I always jokingly say, I stick my finger in the dam where the water's coming out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in church planting, you got to do that or it all goes kaplooey. And if there's a need at that time in Sunday school, then I do that. Now, that's not my best gift with the little ones. I'm more I'm a high school teacher. And that's just I like to debate. I like to get into that role. 
but it doesn't matter where there's the need is where I'll step in. And that's where I see a lot of yes. my role and our role. And I think with Peyton too, we, as we've been on the mission field and traveling around and, and doing different kinds of church plants and ch- church plants in different areas, we both have had to do different things. Um, right now, Peyton's not preaching as much as he um, normally does. And, you know, I miss that and I'm sure he misses it. And that's where his strongest gift, one of his strongest gifts is. And yet the Lord at different times has our needs kind of going around what is the need around us and our gifts being used and what is the situation we're being brought into right now. And Long Beach um, being out there in the park and that, that floored me. I loved that. I loved, you know, I was freaked out about my daughter going to the bathrooms, but I think we just being out there and seeing everybody just come up who normally would never cross in and come into a building just sitting off around back by the trees and coming in to hear the gospel and just maybe going up and saying hi quickly, making someone feel comfortable. And I think for us as a team, um, just doing it together, praying through it together. Um, when we start a church plant, I love that phase where we get the team that God's building, whoever comes and we just sit in the living room and we pray over mm-hmm. each other and we, we um, just pray into each other's lives and just see what God's going to do. And it happens quite organically. Hmm. Um, what What's really interesting to me, like hearing, you know, just listening to what you're saying, Andrew, it's, it's funny because I'm thinking about what we're talking about where, you know, you're, you've got this energy and this fight and this and that. But the reality is when people see you on the ground, like it, it's amazing to me because you're a peacemaker. Like when I watch you, um, you talked about, you know, putting your finger in the dam. It just made me laugh because one of the coolest things about Andrew is she's stinking funny. Um, she can make people laugh. And, and that is a real gift in a church planning situation because things can get tense and people can step on each other's toes really easily. Andrew has always been a peacemaker. She can always come in. We can be in a total tense situation. I'll get more serious, you know. Um, in a situation like that. And uh, I'll be tempted to kind of like reach for the baseball bat, you know, and, and Andrea, uh, she'll make a joke, completely put everyone at ease, you know, and it's just a God given sense of humor. And I think one of the things is let your personality, let, let who you are uh, kind of be a part. If, if you're a, a, a pastor's wife, a church planning wife, um, just be yourself, you know, because, Nobody has a manual out there of what you should look like. No one has a manual of what you should do. I think it's left in the scripture how it ought to be. I think, like we've talked about before, character is what Paul talks about in the qualifications, not personality. If you're, uh, you know, a, a funny, boisterous personality, be that. You know, don't uh, don't try to fit a model of what you're supposed to be. Um, and even as a couple, not having to fit a certain model, because I think there's some people who may hear me talking, and oh, I want to teach, or I want to do this, and they're like, no, I don't want to do that, I want to be with the kids, I'll make cups of tea at home, like, no, please don't put me in that role, and that's okay, and I think that's the biggest thing, is I, I remember one of um, our church planting couples, um, the wife, you know, she was a bit more of an introvert, 
she was a, a lovely woman and she, she was like, but I'm, I'm not really, I don't like to just go out there and talk with everybody like you. And I don't like to do this. And, and I said, that's okay. Do what you do. You do things like remember people's birthdays and send them yeah. cards that yeah. I just, that doesn't even happen for me. I don't think about that. And, or you, you bake all these amazing cookies every Sunday and bring them to the church. And she would quietly go behind the scenes and yeah. do all the stuff that no one even thought about, but she loved doing that. And that's where she found her joy. And that was okay. And if people got critical of that, well, it's their issue, not hers. Absolutely. And- it, it was interesting with her because this is my uh, mentor who I consider the best preacher on the planet alive right now. Some, some of you have never heard Peter Jeffrey. He was uh, one of Lloyd-Jones' replacements, uh, personally discipled by him, and absolutely amazing. And his wife... Uh, Lorna, you know, she, they went to Lloyd Jones's old church, and uh, they w- they expected him to, um, you know, basically uh, they expected him to or, or her to take on this role and do all the things that the previous pastor's wife had done. And like Andrew said, she would, with all the sick people, she would literally go and. Um, uh, she would iron clothes, she would do laundry, she would, and she would pray with them. And it, it's just absolutely amazing that, uh, you know, you, you just find people needing to um, uh, be who they are. Sorry, I got someone who's just buzzing through on my phone and it's tripping me up right now. I'm going to. But I think on, on that note, I remember as a young um, pastor's wife and just heading into the ministry and trying to figure out okay, how do you do this thing and do it right? Because I always, that's my thing is I, I want to do it right. I don't want to do something if it's not going to be done well. And so I remember asking her that and I do not iron. I hate, hate, hate ironing. I specifically will buy Peyton shirts that say do not need to be ironed. This is why he wears a lot of t-shirts. And <laughs> so <laughs> I think I, I'm like, ironing, really? That's what you do? Like, and I remember her telling this and she wasn't putting the trip on me, but I was putting it on myself like, that's what I have to do here in Wales. I have to go into people's houses and iron their clothes. Okay, I'll do it. But that's not really my gift. <laughs> and I think for a while I kept trying to fit into the wrong peg and it just wasn't the right thing for me. And I would do it, but it's not where I would come alive and it wasn't my gifts and I could still do it and I would still willingly do it. But I think a big thing for young or first time pastors, wives is you got, you got to know the calling that God has on your life and know your gifts and be comfortable with doing that and not having to be someone else or change your personality or change your likes. Granted, like I said, I'll put my finger in the dam and I'll do the things that I don't always want to do. It's not my favorite. But at the end of the day, God has a gifting that he's given each one of us and maybe a few giftings and at different times he'll change those around. But I think we got to be diligent in using those. And um, there's a, a couple right now that she said, I need to pick your brain about being a pastor's wife. And I said, you just got to be you. And, and that's really the only advice that I would give them is you just, you got to get over the trip that people will put on you that you, a, you know, can't do anything till the kids are grown up, or B, you have to do it all, or whatever it is. God has a specific calling for you as a couple and in your ministry, 
what he's going to do in that church plant there than through your gifts. And there's no hard, fast rule. Yeah. And, you know, babe, I want to thank you for coming on uh, today on the podcast and sharing your heart. Um, you know, it's been uh, it's been awesome to hear your perspective and hear the things. And I'm sure that our listener, Mrs. Joey, uh, will uh, really um, be blessed just hearing from the female perspective what it's like in this game and if you want to check out uh the and, and just so the, you know he 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 actually doesn't call any of our other guests babe so you know <laughs> well, it's going to be a new thing i'm i'm thinking you know because we got we got neil cole coming on um we've got some some cool guests i'm just going to start calling everyone babe that would be, be like great if handle. you slipped up and called started calling pete babe you know hey babe um, that would be weird because, like I said, on Christmas morning, Pete and I were shooting pictures of our underwear. Uh, I know. Liberty before, found so. it. And I was like, Daddy, why is there a picture of your underwear on your phone? <laughs> no, she, she was in the backseat like, of the car. Yeah. And her, her exact words were, Daddy, she's five, uh, stop taking pictures of your underwear. <laughs> now, it's important to note you weren't wearing them and taking a no. picture and sending them to me. <laughs> Pete and Peyton no, Pete, were both very excited because they both got Superman boxers for Christmas. You know, and we're into the underoos thing, the church planner. You know that, right? We're bringing back underoos, and they're going to be church planner. You can get a Peyton and Pete underoos. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully, our picture won't be on them. Gosh, you know what? I was just thinking that. Guys, model those. <laughs> Which side do no I faces, get? The front please. or the no back faces. with the picture? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was funny. I, before we close, I was in the doctor uh, doctor's office yesterday. And, uh, you know, whenever Liberty goes to the doctor's office, the doctor always gives her a sticker. And, oh, so yeah. she, and they're kind of big, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and she never, she always puts them somewhere like kind of, you know, conspicuous. I'll find them later or, you know, we'll be walking out and I'll see it on the wall somewhere. And I'll be like, oh, dang, you know, I have to go get it. And uh, yesterday they had us undress the baby. And right when I'm getting ready to, uh, Andrew's holding the baby and we're getting ready to get her dressing. And we look and on her butt, on the diaper, on her butt is this princess sticker, you know, just big as day. And I had to take a picture and put that on Facebook because that was, that was hilarious. She found a, 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 I guess, a spot to put it, but mom and dad didn't see that happening. So, but uh, anyways, hey. Babe, thanks for being on. It's going to be my new thing. Now I'll call everybody babe. Uh, okay. if, if you want to bless your wife, have her go to churchplanningisforgirls.com and uh, check out those blogs there. Uh, and uh, they, they can leave comments. They can even possibly write for it if uh, they want to share thoughts. And uh, anyways, Hun, thanks for coming on. And uh, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that no one's reaching, you have to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, 
which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. 